If any man lacks wisdom, he should ask, and God will give it generously to all without finding fault. But when he asks, he should ask and not doubt, because the man who doubts is like a wave tossed in the sea. And that man should not believe he'll receive anything from God, for he is unstable in all that he does. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Uh, I've been thinking about Dave Dave and Leslie and Don and I are going on a cruise next week, and I'm really looking forward to it. I really need a vacation, and um, I'm looking forward to doing it. And one of the things people always say when they hear that we are going on a cruise, they'll say, you know, do you get seasick when you're on a cruise? And what they don't realize is that the cruise ships today are... um, they have stabilizers in them. And, and, and a lot of people don't like to cruise because they're afraid of, of getting seasick. And, but these stabilizers keep the ships, especially the big ones, the ships upright, and they decrease the side-to-side motion uh, that's caused by the waves. Uh, there's a stabilizer on each side of the cruise ship. And so when the ships, they, they have a sensor that's built in each side. And, and so when a strong wave comes at one side of the ship's direction, the stabilizer will automatically shift and exert pressure and push the ship in the opposite direction. And then thereby it decreases the back and forth motion and it stabilizes the ship. So the waves can still come and the sea can still be unstable, but the ship will remain unaffected because of the stabilizers. And and I was thinking about that this week and how James says that a man who asks for God for something and then he doubts, he becomes like a wave of the sea and he's tossed to and fro. He becomes unstable in all that he does. And, and, And I got to thinking about how the word of God is a stabilizer in those circumstances because who knows, waves are going to come in life. Uh, trials are going to come in life. The enemy is going to introduce things that try to make us toss and, and doubt and go from unbelief to belief and question God's faithfulness. And, and we become like that, that, that ship that's tossed side to side. And, and there has to be a stabilizer. And that stabilizer, James tells us, is the word of God. We need to learn to activate the word of God instead of our, letting our emotions drive us instead of letting our emotions uh, toss us back and forth. The word of God in our life exerts pressure and pushes against the lies of the enemy and, and, and doubt and unbelief no longer can toss us to and fro. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about. James says that a man who's tossed like that, who goes from belief to unbelief and back and forth, and will God, will God not? uh, Is God good? Is God not good? Does God keep his promise? Does God not keep his promises? And we're tossed back and forth and back and forth. And James says that kind of man is a double-minded man. And that word double-minded in the original language, it means wavering. It means one who's uncertain, doubting. It means someone who is divided in interest, someone who vacillates in opinion or purpose. According to Vine's dictionary, it means two-souled man, a two-souled man. 
So instead of being immovable and standing firm in life, we're going to be tossed and turned and pulled in one direction by the world, by friends, by emotions, by addictions, by false doctrines, and then we're going to be pulled another way by the word of God and his truth. And then we'll be tossed and turned. We get tossed and turned when we say, God's word says this, but I want to do this. Uh, we get tossed and turned well, when we say our emotions are telling us this, but, but God's word says this, and we don't know which one to believe, and we vacillate from forgiveness to unforgiveness, from showing mercy to not showing mercy, from self-control to be out of control, and we're tossed and we're turned constantly. The enemy loves when we live like this. Everything the enemy does in our life is aimed at undermining the, uh, the, the truth of the word of God in our life. And we've got to learn that we can't follow God and make choices that are an act of rebellion against him at the same time. Doing that will make sure that we are unstable, that we're tossed and turned. And so James is telling us that, that when we ask God for something, when we stand on God's word, when we believe his promises, we have to believe and not doubt so that we're not tossed and turned by the enemy. That word tossed in the original language, it, it speaks of a person whose mind wavers in uncertainty between hope and fear and between doing and not doing a thing. And so that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. But would you just pray with me before we begin? Father, I'm just in awe of your faithfulness and your goodness. Lord, we praise you for what you're doing in Dan's life. And Lord, we acknowledge that you are indeed Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. That you are faithful even when we are faithless. That you are always who you say you are. That you will always do what you say you will do. And Father, I thank you that you haven't changed, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you are still doing what you did yesterday, and you're doing it so well today, and we just give you praise and honor and glory for it. I pray that you would continue to guide his doctors. I pray that you would continue to give them wisdom beyond their ability, and Lord, that you who, who have knit him together, who created him, who knows everything about him, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to uh, bring wholeness and healing into that body that you created. We believe, Lord God, we believe, and we thank you uh, for what you're doing. Now, Lord, I just ask that as I open up this word, I pray that you would help me to teach with clarity, with effectiveness, Lord God, and, and that, that there would be great understanding. I pray that, that, that my mouth would be a sharpened sword, Lord God, your sharpened sword, that, that it would be like a pen in the hand of a skillful writer. Lord, that you would help me to clearly and effectively minister your word so that a great number of hearers would believe. Anoint my lips, Lord God, I pray, and anoint the ears and the hearts of each person here to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. You say, well, Rhea, I thought we were studying in James. I, I think it's really important uh, to just look at this passage because in order to learn to stabilize, we must be able to identify the waves when they come, the things that the enemy brings at us to make us toss and turn. And, and I believe this passage really will help us in that area. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, I'll begin reading in verse 3. It's a familiar passage, uh, but I just want to take a few minutes tonight to just look at it a little bit deeper uh, than from what we're reading on the surface. So uh, chapter 10, verse 3, for those Though we walk in the flesh, 
We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Paul is really writing that because people are coming at him. They're opposing his ministry and they're telling him that he is timid in, 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 in person, but he's bold in writing. And this is his response to that. And, and so if we're keeping it in context, that's the context that, that it's being written in. But, but, but the principle that he's drawing is what I really want to look at tonight in some depth. When he's talking about strongholds there, we've talked about this many times, that a stronghold is anything that has a stronghold on us. In Bible times, a stronghold was a fortress. It was a castle, if you will. Uh, But it also could be a prison. It could be a place for the enemy to hide, a hiding place, a safe place for the enemy to be concealed. A place where he, so uh, a place where his opponent could not have access to him. And Paul is drawing this picture here and he's saying that we can have strongholds in our thinking, in our minds, if you will. And that's really what I want to look at tonight. I want to just talk a bit about that because I just want to tell you that our wrong thoughts can become prisons. Our wrong thoughts can be a place for the enemy to hide so that he can get the advantage on us. Our wrong thoughts, our wrong thinking patterns can become a place where where he can conceal himself and we're not even aware of it. Because we let our minds go, go run wild. The Bible says very clearly that we need to gird up the loins of our minds. We can't just let every thought just go, go run, out, run wild in our mind. We've got to be conscious about what we're thinking on. Or we will be tossed to and fro. You've heard it said a million times that the mind is the battlefield. And I think that's so true. The mind is the command center. It's in that place where the battle is either won or lost. And that's why it's so important that we mind our mind. Where the mind goes, the man will follow. A stronghold, uh, by, by the Greek definition, also means anything on which one relies. But my favorite definition is of the arguments and reasonings by which a disputant endeavors to fortify his opinion and defend it against his opponent. Let me read that again. Of the arguments and reasonings by which a disputant endeavors to fortify his opinion and defend it against his opponent. I've told you that I really believe everything that the enemy brings at us is designed It's designed to undermine the truth of the word of God in our life. He does not want us thinking God's thoughts because the Bible says that the mind controlled by the spirit is peace and life. But the mind controlled by the flesh is what? Death. And so the enemy, he wants to know that what's governing our mind is the flesh, the things of this world, thinking his thoughts instead of God's thoughts because that will bring death to us. And I don't mean a physical death. I mean it will bring an emotional death. It will bring despair and hopelessness. It will rob you of joy. It will rob you of peace. So many of us, if we're sitting here tonight and those are issues that we're dealing with, we need to guard our thoughts. 
we need to be thinking about what we're thinking on. Because the Bible clearly says the mind governed by the flesh, by the things of this world, by fleshly carnal thoughts, will always bring death. But the mind that's governed by the Spirit, by the Word of God, will bring life and peace. And so the enemy, he wants to set up a stronghold. He wants a hiding place. He wants a place uh, of, of safety, a fortified place in our mind where he can, can assault and he can oppose the Word of God with his lies. You've heard me teach a million times that we as a, as a person are three, uh, we, have, uh, we have just like God is a triune God, I believe that we're a tripart being. I believe that we have a body, uh, we have a spirit, and we have a soul. Our spirit is the part of us that gets, uh, is made new, that when we come to Christ, that's the part that's born again. We get a new spirit. We, 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 we communicate to God, but spirit to spirit, and that's why uh, we, we can come into God, we can come into the, to, the, to the throne room without condemnation and we can come boldly because that man has been made new. The spirit man is made new. When God deals with us, he deals with us spirit to spirit. But the part of us that has not been made new is the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions. That's why we're told to, to renew our mind, to not be conformed by the patterns of this world. Don't think like the world thinks. Don't act like the world acts. You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind because that is what really gets us because where the mind goes, the man will follow. And we cannot be controlled by our mind, our thinking. We need to be controlled by the spirit. And so when the enemy comes at us, he knows he can't touch our spirit. He cannot touch that. He can't penetrate that. That is sealed until the day of redemption. But the area that he tries to penetrate is our thinking, our mind. And he does that through his whispers, through his lies, through his accusations. We've talked a million times about how the word devil is the word diabolos. It means one who comes alongside throwing. And he's looking, he's throwing, and he's looking to gain penetration. He wants to penetrate our mind with his lies. He throws his lies. He's looking to gain penetration. Uh, because if you believe a lie, you empower the liar. And so if we believe his lies, we give him power. And that's why it's vital that we guard our thoughts. We guard our thinking. And he is looking for an entrance point so he can build a fortified uh, uh, hiding place in our thinking where we just think it's a natural thought but really it's a lie sent there by the enemy so he can he can build his fortified uh place to hide and he can tear down the truth of the word of god he can oppose it in our mind and tear it down do you see how it works and that's why it's so important that that we guard our thoughts the enemy wants to annihilate our faith he wants us to be unstable he wants us to be tossed to and fro. He doesn't want us to believe. He wants us to doubt. He wants to diminish our trust in God's word. He wants to bring thoughts that bring anxiety and fear. And he wants to hinder us and tear down our trust in God and in his words. Our victory depends on believing God's word and applying it to our life. When we entertain his lies, we actually war against the very purposes of God in our life. When we dwell on those thoughts, let's say the enemy whispers a lie to me and he says, you're no good. You are a failure. 
And when I begin to entertain that thought, I feed it. And, and the more I feed something, the more it grows. And then I really begin to believe it. And then he sets up a stronghold in my mind where I really believe I'm a failure. And so God's word comes at me and it says that you are accepted, the beloved, and dearly loved. You're an overcomer. In fact, you're more than an overcomer. You're a conqueror. And when, when, I, when I try to apply that word to my mind, the, the lie, the fortification that the enemy has set up by that lie says, no, I'm a failure. And now I'm tossed back and forth. Am I a failure? or am I a conqueror? Am I a failure or am I an overcomer? And I'm tossed and tossed and tossed. Do you see it? And that's why it's so important that we guard that mind, that we guard it. The mind set in and governed by the flesh is death. The mind opposed to the word of God will always bring death in our life. The battlefield really is in the mind. Our battlefield is not in the sickness that's coming over our body. The battlefield is not in the spouse who cheated on us. The battlefield is not in the job that we lost. The, the battlefield is not with the woman who's flirting with your husband at work. The battlefield is not your anger or your bitterness. The battlefield is the emotions that those things stir in us and the opportunity they, they present for the enemy to deposit a lie and build a stronghold in our lives to bring doubt and unbelief. So the challenge in the midst of these troubles is to keep our mind renewed and focused on the truth. The enemy wants to convince us that God's promises are not true for us. They're not true in our situation, that our circumstances are too far gone, and he wants to govern and bring death and hopelessness instead of, of, of allowing us. He, he wants to set up that stronghold and toss us instead of us saying, no, I'm going to be stabilized by the word of God because, because the mind that's governed by the word of God is life and peace. It's life and peace. What's governing your mind tonight? It's interesting to me that uh, James uh, says the secret is to believe and to not doubt. And belief, you know, is always faith. And, and if we're talking about the weapons of our warfare and how we battle, it's, we go to the, the armor of God. And, and the armor of God says belief or faith is a shield to us. And it's a shield, you know, from the fiery darts that the enemy fires. And, and his fiery darts are always lies. His fiery darts are temptations to be led astray. And those are his fiery darts. And if your shield of faith is up, if you are believing the word of God, encountering those fiery darts of lies and temptations with the truth of the word of God, those darts get extinguished and they cause no trouble. Do you see how that works? But now Jesus, in, in, in the temptation, we see that working out. We see that playing out. The enemy comes at Jesus with the lie. If you are the son of God, you'll turn these rocks into to bread. You're hungry, Jesus. You've been fasting for 40 days. You deserve this. And Jesus immediately extinguishes that lie, extinguishes that temptation with the word of God. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone. The fiery dart is extinguished. Do you see it? But let's just say that the fiery dart that's coming at us gets through, that our face shield is not up, and he gets penetration because that's what he's looking for. Diabolos, devil, is looking for penetration. Okay? Are you with me? Stay with me because this is good. Uh, the, 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 fi the, the, sh the shield of faith is a weapon, but you know what else is a weapon? The sword of the spirit. What is the sword of the spirit? Somebody tell me. 
the word of God. Okay, so I used to think that the sword of the spirit was the only offensive weapon that I could come at the enemy with the sword of the spirit. Are you with me? This week I read that the sword that is referred to there is really a dagger. In fact, some commentators say it's a knife. You wouldn't get very far with a knife with the enemy, would you? So Bill Johnson says that the dagger is used to dig out the fiery darts. Are you with me? So let's say your shield of faith wasn't up. The enemy's looking for penetration. You get caught unaware. One of his lives get pen- penetrates you and gets inside of you. What are you going to dig it out with? The word of God, the truth is going to counter that lie. And see, what happens is we just let that fiery dart stay penetrating. We just let that fiery dart continue to cause damage. And we've got to not be unaware of the enemy's schemes. I'll give you an example. What really, really hit me hard this week, um, I I was looking at scriptures that talked about forgiveness, for example. Let me just give you that one. There's There's a scripture that says, what you forgive will be forgiven, and what you retain will be retained. Are you familiar with that scripture? What you forgive will be forgiven and what you retain will be retained. And, and I was asking the Lord about forgiveness because and, and, I will tell you the enemy had fired a dart. My shield was down. <laughs> the offense dug its little fiery dart into me and, and I really was a little hurt. Had a little unforgiveness within me. And so I was going to dig out that dart. And so I started to look for scriptures that, that really talked about unforgiveness. And the power of forgiveness. Now, if you tune me out the rest of the night, do not tune this out. This is good. Because this is what we have to do. When the enemy gets penetration with a lie, we've got to learn to counter it with the truth. The enemy got got penetration in my life with a lie. You deserve to be angry about this. You have a right to hold on to unforgiveness about this. And and I'll tell you, I do. And I I was kind of relishing in that until I got miserable. And then I was like, this isn't a lot of fun because who knows? The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. But when you start letting your mind be governed by the flesh and what the flesh wants and the ways of the world and what the world says is right, it will bring death eventually. It might feel right. It might feel good for a little bit, but it will eventually bring death. And so when we come into agreement with the liar, we empower the liar. And so when I said, I have a right not to forgive, I came into agreement with the liar and I started to empower him in my life. Then he said, how about a little bitterness? How about a little uh, resentment? How about a little anger? Let's all, let's, I'm aiming good. You let me penetrate. Here you go. Let's breed because anything that you feed will grow. And so I let him have an in and he started building a stronghold in my life. Is this fleshing out for you? And so I, I realized, okay, you got through my shield, but I got a dagger. I got a knife, and I don't like to cut, and I don't like pain, but I hate this penetration more than anything else. And so I started to dig in some scripture uh, for, for some scriptures on unforgiveness. I needed to have a, something to fight back. I needed to have something to, to, uh, to, to counter the lie of the enemy. And I came across that scripture. What you forgive will be forgiven. What you retain will be retained. 
And so I had my own idea of what that is, and I really felt like the Lord said, let's look that up. And so what you forgive will be forgiven. Those two words are the same, forgiven, forgiven. Stay with me. That means to send away or disregard, to abandon and leave behind. So you're telling me, Lord, what I forgive, what I abandon, agree to leave behind, what I cancel out, what I send away and disregard will be sent away and disregarded. I'm not sure I like that. I kind of like hanging on to it. Because if I send that away, that person gets off the hook. That's my thinking, okay? So what you forgive will be forgiven. What you retain will be retained. And it got better because that word retain and retained are the same word. And it means to have power, to be powerful, to rule, to get possession of, to take hold of, to seize, to lay hands on one in order to get him in one's power, to hold fast, to retain. See, you're not with me or you'd be wowing right now. Because what you forgive, Rhea, will be forgiven. What you disregard and let go <laughs> will be disregarded and let go in your life. That thing got a strong hold on you. And, and when you choose to say, I'm going to disregard that thing, I'm going to send it away, I'm going to abandon the offense, it will get abandoned and disregarded in your heart and in your mind because the enemy will no longer have a strong hold. You're going to tear down his fortress that he got. You're going to extinguish that arrow. You're going to dig that thing out. And what you retain will be retained because if you retain that, Rhea, if you let that arrow in you, if you say it's okay if I don't forgive, then it's going to be powerful in your life. It's going to, it's going to rule you. It's going to be chief. It's going to be master of you. It's going to get possession of you, Rhea. It's going to take hold of you. It's going to to seize you. It's going to lay hands on you and lead you away in its power. See, if you've ever dealt with unforgiveness, you understand that. Do you not? And so do you see that, 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 that what's happening here, he, that Paul was saying to us <laughs> that we need to, let's go back to that 2 Corinthians passage, 2 Corinthians 10. I'm just going to go slow through this because I'm telling you there are just great nuggets of truth here that we don't want to miss. 2 Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't war, we don't fight according to the flesh. What the world says is okay is not okay for us. That's not the way to win this battle because it's a battle and it's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and evil forces. It's against the enemy of your soul who wants to bring you down. He wants to undermine God's word in your life because he understands if you begin to walk in God's truth, that is the way to life. It's the way to life and peace. But if you walk according to the flesh, he wins because it's gonna bring death. It's gonna bring depression. It's gonna bring despair. It's gonna bring hopelessness. So we don't fight that way. Instead, our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments. I, I want to look at that word right there. Uh, that word uh, pulling down and casting down, those are, those are words that really mean force. You're using force to take a hold of it. And, and so I just, I want to look at those. He says, you're going to cast down arguments. That word argument is a fascinating word. I found it because I was looking 
at a passage, if you want to turn over to Matthew 16, I know I'm all over the place, but I promise you it'll make sense in the end, I hope. Matthew 16, this is the passage I was looking at. Matthew 16, verses 18. I was reading about this. Now, you know the story. The disciples have just seen Jesus feed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. Not long after that, he feeds 4,000 with, I want to say like seven. Let me just see here. I want to get the numbers right. Um, is it seven? Seven loaves and a few little fish. And, and not only did he feed them, you know the story, he had baskets of leftovers. And I love that. I love that our God can take a little bit that we give him and multiply it. And we haven't lost anything. We actually get more in return. And, and I love that. And so the disciples had seen him do that. They had watched him take just this tiny little bit of bread and fish and multiply it and have leftovers. And, and they're pretty impressed. They didn't just see him do it once. They saw, it do it, they saw him do it twice. And, and so in, in, in Matthew chapter 18 now, we see him and the disciples are, are a little worried. Let me just find the right verse for you. Chapter 16, verses 18. Nope, that's not right either. Verse 8. So they, Jesus talks to them about the leaven of the Pharisees. He talks to them about Herod, and, and they don't get it. And, and they think, they reasoned, verse 7 says, among themselves, saying, is it because we have taken no bread? We don't have any bread. What are we going to do? We forgot to bring the bread. And Jesus answers them and says, O ye of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have not brought any bread? Do you have yet to understand the five loaves and the f that fed the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I don't speak about bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Sadducees? Look at what Jesus says. They were reasoning among themselves that they only had this one loaf of bread, and maybe Jesus was mad because they only had one loaf of bread. And Jesus said to them, why do you reason among yourselves? You think it's about the bread. You're missing the whole point. And, and then he says to them, I have, are your hearts so hard that you forgot about the, the, the feeding of the 5,000? Are your hearts so hard that you forgot about what I did with the 4,000? And what's interesting to me is that word that Jesus uses is that for reason. Why do you reason among yourself? They were reasoning among themselves, talking about the one loaf of bread that they, for, that they had and how they forgot to bring bread. Stay with me. That word reason right there is the exact same word. It comes from the same word that's used. It's not the exact same word, but it comes from the same root that, that is used for imaginations, casting down imaginations. It means reasoning. It means it's where we get our word logical. It means to look at something and, and reason through it and say, well, this makes sense. And, and this is the logical conclusion to come to. And so when, when Paul tells us we need to cast down imaginations, he says, you need to cast down logical thinking. You need to cast down your reasoning because your reasoning, your logical fleshly mind will not make sense when it comes to God's word. You're not going to be able to reason your way through it. God's word does not make sense to, to a logical mind because the things of the spirit are spiritually discerned and the, logic and the natural man will not understand them. And so when Jesus said to his disciples, you're reasoning, you're reasoning among yourself, you're looking at the natural and you're saying, I have one loaf of bread, Jesus must be angry. 
And I'm saying to you, it's not about reasoning. Do you forget what I did to the 5,000? Did you forget that I fed the 4,000? Are you with me? Guys, are you just getting this or is it too deep? Do I need to come back next week with something simple? Are you with me? This is profound. Do you see the, do you see the depth of it? What Jesus is saying is, fellas, I don't work the way you think I work. You have one loaf in the natural, but did you see what I did in the supernatural? And you can't reason your way when you're working with me. You have to trust that I'm bigger than that. Don't reason. You need to cast down that reasoning because I can take that one loaf of bread and feed 5,000 and have leftovers. I did it for you. You saw it once. You should have understood my character the first time you saw it. Then I did it again feeding the 4,000. That should have wowed you. You should have said, that is who he is. We're not even questioning anymore. We've seen him do it twice now. The first time was awesome. The second time says, that must be character instilled. And that's who he is. Now we got one loaf of bread we can trust him on that one so that's what the word of God does see we go to the word of God and we and we reason and we say this mustn't be true for me it sounds like it's way too big it sounds like it's impossible and and Jesus is saying don't reason don't reason don't be thinking this thing through like that just believe and don't doubt because when you start reasoning, you're going to get tossed and you have got to decide in your mind that this word is yea and amen to those who believe, to those who don't reason, who just believe that I'm who I say I am and I'll do what I say I do, who will come as a child and say, this really works. Rhea, if you don't reason and say, I have a right, I have a right not to forgive. If you throw down the logical and say, you, you logically have a right and you say, no, God's word works and the mind that's governed by the spirit is peace and life and I don't have any right now. I'm going to yield to God's word. I'm going to stop trying to reason through it. I'm going to accept it as truth and know that it works. That's the way to life. And so Rhea, you cast down and that's violent. You cast down reasoning. You cast down that logical uh, looking at the facts and tallying them up and coming to this conclusion. Because that's what the enemy wants you to do. He's going to whisper and say, here's some facts for you. And then you're going to tally them and you're going to say God's word doesn't work. Guys, are you with me? Word says that we cast down. Let's look at the passage again. 2 Corinthians 10. We pull down strongholds when the enemy gets a stronghold in our mind. We cast down arguments, logical, reasoning, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Do you see the enemy from the very beginning? That's what got him thrown out of heaven, is that he wanted to exalt himself. He wanted to be like God. That's what got him thrown out of heaven. Do do you see that? And he hasn't stopped that. He still wants to exalt himself. He still wants to look bigger than God. And what he does is he makes his lies look bigger than God's word. And he tries to exalt it in your mind and say, this is the truth, this is a lie. God doesn't mean what he says. God doesn't do what he says. God isn't good. And he exalts the lie, he exalts the sickness, he exalts the financial difficulty, he exalts the the thought process, and he makes it look bigger than God's word. He's still in that that business. And so the word says that we need to cast down those things. Any high thing that exalts itself against the, the knowledge of God, we need to bring that thing down. 
Cast it down. It's violent. I'm not messing with it. I'm not entertaining it. It has set itself up against the knowledge of the word of God. That thing is taking no place in my mind. It's getting out of there. Can I tell you that we have an option what we think on. We have an option what we entertain up here. We are not powerless to it. We have control here. We don't have to let it go wild. I've heard somebody say once that just because a thought comes through a mind doesn't mean it's sin. It's only sin when you act on it. But I'm going to tell you what, it wouldn't be coming through our mind if we had been keeping uh, a guard over our, our mind, over what we're looking at. You see, the, the, the enemy deposits the temptation through our thought process. And if he didn't get access to our thought process, he wouldn't be able to deposit that temptation. Do you see it? And so look at what he says then. He says, you, uh, you cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Can I tell you about my son Tyler, who's a police officer? He has learned that if anybody comes up against his authority, he has learned how to throw them to the ground, wrestle them to the ground, handcuff them, and carry them away to jail. He's learned to do that. It's, his mama doesn't like that, but he has learned to do that because he's learned he walks in authority, and they have to respect his authority as a police officer. And can I tell you what? God's word is authority. It should have to be the final authority in our life. And when the enemy comes with a lie that sets itself up against the authority of God's word, we got to wrestle that thing to the ground. We can't just, a police officer, Tyler doesn't just say, okay, I don't have any authority. Do what you want to me. He wrestles the thing to the ground, handcuffs him, and takes him to jail. And you and I have got to say, no way. God's word is final authority in my life. And that thing that just set itself up against that authority, I'm wrestling it to the ground. I'm handcuffing it. The word carries it away to captivity means to take a spear to the prisoner and lead it away to captivity. And we need to handcuff that thing in our mind and lead it away to captivity. That thought has no business in the mind of a child of God. It's not going to take up residency in my mind. It's not going to develop a stronghold in my mind. I am going to yield to the authority of God's word, and I'm going to live a life of life and peace, not of death. But we have got to learn to mind our minds, where the mind goes. The man will follow. That's interesting to me, taking every thought captive. The word thought there in the original language means a purpose, a device, an evil purpose, a plot, plan, or design, something calculated, and it has to do with things that have been designed just for you. It's the same word, taking every thought captive, stay with me, is the same word used in 2 Corinthians 2.11. We are not ignorant of the enemy's devices. Okay, Lisa was with me. We're not ignorant of the enemy's devices is the same word for taking every thought captive. Thought, devices. What does that tell you? That one of his devices is in our thoughts, in our imaginations. Image, imagination, images. When I say red apple, you immediately picture an image in your mind. 
That's why it's so important what we're looking at, images, imaginations. We need to take captive any conclusion that your mind comes to that does not line up with the word of God. Another thing I saw this week that I I was like, Lord, how can I throw this into this teaching because it was so profound to me. So I'm just going to give it to you for whatever it's worth and you can make it fit the teaching because it's so good. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 18. If we get this, I think it's profound. 2 Corinthians 3. Verses 12, and eight, 12 through 18. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. All right? That word veil means that which covers, that which prevents a thing from being understood. Stay with me. Have you ever heard somebody say, that there's a veil over their eyes, they can't understand the word of God. That the enemy of their soul has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so he can, they can't see the truth of the word of God. Have you ever heard somebody say, a Christian say, I, I just can't understand the word of God. I feel like it's veiled to me. That word veil means uh, that which is covered, that which prevents a thing from being understood. But look what the scripture says. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I said to Leslie, I have always looked at that scripture as an unbeliever is veiled. He can't understand the word of God. But when he turns to the Lord, comes to Christ, the veil is taken away. When I pray for people who don't understand the word of God, I will always pray that the veil falls from their eyes. This week when I looked up that word returns, it means to return to a better mind. Did that punch anybody like it did me? Because I'm going to tell you, in the midst, and I'll flesh it out for you, I'm just going to share my junk so that you can get blessed and you don't fall into the same trap I did. But I shared with you that, that the enemy aimed his fiery dart of offense at me. It got through my shield of faith. It should not, but it did. The fiery dart got into my, into my life. It deposited bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment. I had to use the sword of the spirit to dig that thing out. I had to start talking to Rhea about the truth of the word of God. I got that scripture about being forgiven and not retaining, not letting that thing have power over me. If I didn't forgive that person, that unforgiveness, that offense was going to have power in my life. Okay, so as it was having power in my life, I would, I would read the word of God and my hunger for it was diminishing and my passion for it would diminish. I mean, I, could, I, I would sooner quit my job than quit having time to study the word of God. And I would like be upset when it came time for me to go to work because it cut into my time of studying the word of God. Well, as long as that fiery dart was in me, I was like, I could take it or leave it, not a big deal. And so this week when I read that a veil something that hindered me from understanding was removed when I turned 
and had a better mind, that was profound. Guys, this is so important that we understand that the enemy is looking for penetration to win at all those things. That he does not your, want your mind to be governed by, by, by the spirit. He wants it to be governed by the flesh. One last scripture before I let you go. 2 Corinthians 11, verse, verse 3. Now you know this scripture. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That word simplicity means singleness. It means single-mindedness. And it, what he's saying there is the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness and corrupted her single-mindedness. You know the story. Adam and Eve were created. They were created for fellowship with God. God said, you can have anything you want in this garden, just don't eat of that one tree. All these other trees, just don't eat of that tree. Or you will surely die. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Okay, Adam and Eve, it's all yours. You can have all of this. Look at this wonderful life you have. Just don't eat of that one tree. It'll cause death. Adam and Eve, as soon as God turns his back, doesn't, they don't let themselves be governed by God's word. They say, the serpent slithers in. He says, did God really say? I don't think God meant that when he said it. I think you heard him wrong. I don't think he means what he says. Certainly it's not going to cause death. Go ahead and eat. Indulge. Please your flesh. Eat. What happens? Death, doesn't it? There's always going to be two trees in the garden. God will always see. People say, well, why did God allow Adam and Eve to do that? Why did he allow them to fall? He didn't. He gave them an option. Here are two trees, my way and the wrong way, the right way and the wrong way, the way to life and the way to death. You decide which one you're going to eat from. They decide it. And there will always be two trees in our garden. We will always have the option to be governed by the flesh or to be governed by God's word. We will always have the option to, to go with what God says or do with what we want. But, but do with what we want will always bring death. People say, well, that's legalism. No, that's smart. It's smart to obey God's word. That's not legalism. It's doing what's expected. It's understanding that that's the way to life. I have a choice. I can let my mind be governed by the flesh. If you want to call it legalism, rock home with your bad self, be governed by the flesh. But it's going to bring life or it's going to bring death. And you can say I'm a legalistic because I want to be governed by God's word and I want to obey it. But baby, I'm going to have me some life and peace. It's that simple. And I'm not going to be tossed. I'm not going to be like, oh, God's word today. Praise the Lord. Let me preach you some scripture. And then I'm going to do what I want over here because this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be tossed and I'm going to get seasick and I'm going to be unstable in all I do. And God says, just ask me and I'll give you wisdom. But when you ask, you have to believe what I tell you and not doubt. Because if you believe in doubt, you're going to be unstable in all you do. You see it. 
So now, consider pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of, every kind, of many kinds, because you know that the testing, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete and not lacking anything. If any man lacks wisdom, he should ask God and he'll give it generously to all without finding fault. But the man who asks should ask and not doubt, because the man who doubts is like a wave of the sea, tossed to and fro. That man should not believe he'll be receive anything from, from God because he's unstable and all he does. Okay, let me just flesh it. Did you ever believe God for something? His word comes to you. You think you're a pretty baby Christian. You're a new believer. And God, you believe it. And God immediately answers it. Like, you're wowed. And you're like, he's so cool. He's so faithful. His word works. It so works, you know. You pray for somebody to be healed and bam, they're healed. And you're like, whoo, that's good. It's making my faith grow, and why would I not ever want to just believe God? And then the next person comes, and you pray for him. And he's not healed right away. And he's not healed the next time you pray, and the next time you pray, and the next time you pray. This time it doesn't happen right away. Are you going to persevere and believe God's word? Or are you going to toss because now there's a second tree in the garden. And you've got to decide what you're going to eat from. I, I, I was listening to Bill Johnson, and he used the illustration of money. He said, you know, when God tells you to give $100, and you give $100, and you basically walk out of the room and find 1000 on the floor, you're like, yay! And the next time you think, well, that was easy. I'll give another $100. And then two weeks later, you still haven't seen the 100 come back or let alone a 1,000, and then it's four weeks, and it's six weeks, and do you still believe God? Do you still believe? Do you still trust him, even when you don't see immediate results? Rhea, I'll flesh it one more time. Rhea, don't retain it. Let it go. It won't have power in your life. still feels like it has power. That person still is getting away with it. Rhea, <laughs> that which you retain will be retained. It's going to have power in your life. I don't feel like it, Lord. Will you do it anyway? Will you believe that my word works or will you give the enemy a stronghold? Will you cast down that thought that entices you to believe something different? And will you take anything that, that comes as a temptation immediately into obedience? Will you handcuff that thing and carry it away? Because that's the way to life and peace. One last thing I want, I want you to see. Does anybody know some of the other names that the devil is, is, named, is called? Angel of light, the accuser. Let me give you one that's, that's fascinating to me. I just, I might, I've already overwhelmed you, so I'm just going to give you some more. Leslie and I are intentional about this. I, you've heard me say, I believe we're atmosphere changers. We went to this big conference this weekend, and I was mindful when I walked into the conference room that I was an atmosphere changer. I knew it. I mean, I was like, I have an opportunity to change this atmosphere. And, and I'm mindful of that all the time, that I'm housing the holy, that I bring the holy wherever I go. All right? Well, 
one of the names that Satan, the devil, Diabolos, the one who's looking to get a stronghold, one of the names he's known as is the prince of the power of the air. Are you with me? That word air means atmosphere. Okay. <laughs> when I'm with my man and I want a romantic night, I light some candles, I put on some music, I make him a nice dinner, I change the atmosphere in my home. Davy walks in, he, he feels the atmosphere, are you, you, are you with me? He knows. The atmosphere has changed in the house. All right, let me give you another one. Okay, atmosphere, a restaurant that you go to. They dim the lights, they have nice music playing in the background. They set an atmosphere for you, right? It's inviting. Atmosphere is important, is it not? Satan is the prince of the power of the air, the atmosphere. The atmosphere that you set in your mind either breeds his authority and rulership, prince, ruler, authority, that atmosphere either feeds his authority or it turns it away. Are you with me? So if my atmosphere is, I am such a pathetic life and I am such a hard life and I'm depressed and my husband is terrible and we don't have any money and nobody likes me and everybody turns against me and just abandons me. And if that's my atmosphere, it's like Dave coming home to a candlelight dinner. He's like, baby, I'm all in. <laughs> He's the prince of the air, the atmosphere. And our atmosphere either invites him or turns him away. And that's why it's so important. We take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's why it's so important. I know I drive you crazy with scripture memorization and saying you've got to get the word in you. You've got to quote the word. You've got to live the word. You've got to get it in front of you all the time. But we are setting an atmosphere. And we are setting an atmosphere. When, when you are feeling angry inside and that's all you can think about is anger and you're angry because this person said this to you and they did this to you, you need to start changing the atmosphere a little bit and you need to start saying, a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. I, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'm not letting anger in my mind. I thank you, Lord, that, that, the, that the, the, the mind that's controlled by the spirit is peace and life. Thank you that I have peace and life. The Bible says that a, a spirit of heaviness is lifted off by a garment of praise. That tells me we can change the atmosphere. I have a spirit of heaviness on me. I'm going to put on some praise music. And I am going to lift that thing off of me. My son, Mikey, well, when I would be cooking dinner, seven children, uh, this, it's pressure. <laughs> and, and I would get a little growly. He would go over. We had this under-the-counter like CD player. And he would turn on praise and worship music because he understood at a young boy, a young age, he understood that he could change the atmosphere by putting on praise and worship music. Because the enemy is the prince of the air. One more, and then I'll let you go. There's just so much good, but this is another good one, another name of his that I 
I was looking at this week. He's the ruler of this world. The ruler, prince, authority of this world. So, no longer be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be ye transformed by... What is he the prince and the ruler of? The world that we want to conform to. But if instead of conforming to the patterns of the world that the enemy is the ruler and the authority of, we take God's word and we transform and renew our mind, which do we want to do now? Is that good stuff? So, Father, I just thank you for each man and woman in this place. I pray, Lord God, Lord, that you would just settle your word in their hearts and their minds, that there would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation upon them. Lord, I thank you that, that your word works. And I pray, Father, that you would teach us this week very clearly that the, the mind that's governed by the spirit is filled with peace and life. We love you, Lord, and we give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name.